Welcome to day 143 of The Story That Changes Everything. Our readings for today continue the book of Nehemiah. We're reading chapters 4 through 6. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. Our chapters for today narrate how the restoration of Jerusalem's walls were accomplished despite great opposition. Chapters 4 and 6 describe the struggles Nehemiah faced with external enemies. And chapter 5 narrates obstacles he faced from within the community of Judah itself. Nehemiah faced three primary political enemies in these chapters, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Sanballat was the governor of Samaria, the region just to the north of Jerusalem. Tobiah the Ammonite apparently administered the region just across the Jordan to the east of Judah, and Geshem the Arab oversaw the region south of Judah. So Nehemiah was literally surrounded by challengers on every side. Chapter 4 opens with the increased concerns of Sanballat as the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem progressed. The governor of Samaria apparently saw the strengthening of Jerusalem as a threat to his influence. Sanballat tries intimidating Nehemiah and those working on the walls with a series of demeaning questions intended to discourage them. He mocked their lack of resources and their inefficient building skill. He also questioned their resolve to finish the project. Tobiah the Ammonite joined the attempted roast by suggesting that even a fox could bring down these walls. Nehemiah responded to their intimidations by going to prayer. He lamented and prayed that his enemies would fail and face God's justice. His prayer was answered when the workers reached the halfway point on the walls. This progress was a source of great encouragement that helped overcome whatever discouragement was coming from the outside. Not yet defeated, Sanballat and Tobiah convinced the armies of Arabia and Ashdod to join with the Ammonites to attack the city by surprise, but when word of the plan reached Nehemiah, he again went to prayer. His response after praying was to post a guard day and night to meet any possible threat or invasion. Even the other Jews living in the land created problems. They, too, tried to discourage the people and told them, just go home. Nehemiah responded with a stirring speech, reminding the people why they were doing this work in the first place. They were doing God's will and purpose, and God would protect them in the same way that he protected their ancestors before them. The various attempts at subversion all fail, and the Jerusalem work crews return to the wall and keep rebuilding in their assigned areas. However, now as they worked on the upper half of the wall, they worked while remaining battle-ready, They took shifts. Half the people worked while the other half stood guard, and then they rotated. When they carried materials in one hand, they held a sword in the other. Nehemiah even worked out a series of signals to rally people to one area if an attack took place. Nehemiah also took advantage of the crisis to speed up the work. He extended the workday from first light of dawn until the stars came out. He also kept the workers clothed and inside Jerusalem at night to help protect the city and to remain close to their work. The opposition moves from outside to inside the walls in chapter 5. A famine in the land created a great deal of pressure on everyone and exposed tensions between the social classes among the Judeans. As often happens during an economic crisis, those with the means to survive and flourish started to take advantage of the poor. Wealthy landowners had apparently loaned money to poor farmers with more interest than they could handle. Taxes were also due, famine or no famine. And the Persians followed a practice begun by the Babylonians to place strict levies on real estate holdings and crops. And in some cases, people had to put up their children for collateral for those loans. And since the famine caused them to be unable to pay, 
Their sons and daughters were forced into slavery to settle the debt. The economic crisis not only began to distract the people from their work, but what good are the protective walls of Jerusalem if the people inside starve to death and have lost their children to slavery? The circumstances made Nehemiah angry. Courageously, he accused the people in power of acting unjustly. They had violated the spirit of the Mosaic law that mandated care for those suffering and not their misuse. He reminded the community leaders that with God's help, they had done a great job of ransoming their enslaved brothers and sisters out of slavery. They can't then turn around and through usury, put them right back into slavery. The leaders responded with convicted silence. At this point, Nehemiah confessed something startling. He, members of his family, and his Persian entourage had also been lending the people money and grain. They too had been profiting from these dire circumstances. Nehemiah committed to give back the interest that they had been charging, in essence proclaiming a Sabbath release from debt for all the people. The leaders also join in Nehemiah's generosity, and they too take an oath of obedience to God and to help the people. Notice that further statements are made about Nehemiah's generosity. As the appointed governor by the king of Persia, he could have claimed various food and support taxes, but instead, the text says he covered his leadership needs out of his own resources. With the internal crisis averted, the building project moved forward. Chapter 6 turns again to Judah's frustrated and fearful neighbors. Sanballat and the others try inviting Nehemiah to a special summit with the intent of assassinating him. Nehemiah declined their invitation, using the excuse that he was carrying on a great project. Four times they asked him to meet, and four times he rejected them. The fifth invitation came with an unsealed letter. The unsealed letter suggests that Sanballat wanted its contents known to as many people as possible to spread damaging rumors about Nehemiah. Sanballat's letter accused Nehemiah and his fellow Jews of insurrection. He also claimed that building the wall in Jerusalem showed that Nehemiah and the Jews were plotting to revolt and that Nehemiah was about to be made king. These were serious charges of insurrection. Nehemiah responded to the letter with a direct denial and again with prayer. God answered his prayer by giving him the strength to persist in the face of Sanballat's lies. Then a prophet named Shemaiah prophesied to Nehemiah that his enemies were trying to kill him, duh, and he urged him to take sanctuary with the prophet in the security of the inner temple. This may have been Nehemiah's clue that God had not sent this prophet. As a layman, Nehemiah could only enter the temple courts and not go inside the temple itself. Only priests could do that. Nehemiah would commit a sin by doing this. Doing this could also cause political problems. Persian authorities could hear about it and view Nehemiah going inside the temple fortress with a prophet as an attempt to proclaim himself as king, the exact charge of Sanballat's letter. Eventually, Nehemiah became aware that his enemies had actually hired this prophet Shemaiah to prophesy against him. This incident ends with what is called an imprecatory prayer or psalm against Nehemiah's enemies. Nehemiah prayed that God would remember those who had been plotting against him, but not in a good way, but with appropriate divine justice. Imprecatory psalms can often sound troubling to modern ears, but the important point is that rather than Nehemiah acting violently on his own, he took his desire for vengeance to God in prayer, knowing 
that this justice was God's prerogative and not Nehemiah's. Despite all of this opposition, the wall was completed in 52 days, likely in October of 445 BC. The speed of the project's completion caused the enemies of Judah to lose their arrogance and pride. It was clear to those surrounding Jerusalem that the walls were completed with the help of Yahweh. Threats from Tobiah continued, but there was no fear or intimidation for Nehemiah anymore because Jerusalem now had been fortified by the hand of God and by the work of God's people. The word resilience is a popular term among leadership gurus these days. In these times of challenge and disruption, leaders need to develop resilience. Nehemiah certainly modeled that. However, I'm also impressed by Nehemiah's reliance on prayer and his willingness in these chapters to confess his own shortcomings and invite others to respond faithfully with him. There is much to admire in Nehemiah's resilient leadership, dependence on prayer, and his confessional transparency. So read these texts carefully, looking for things you've not seen before. Journal your thoughts, questions, and prayers. And don't let the subverters from within and without keep you from completing the mission that God has given to you. Our readings for tomorrow are Nehemiah chapters 7 through 9, and we're adding Psalm 61. I'll talk to you tomorrow.